It's funny, every time he's in here, I just and he starts staring intently out the window, I'm just waiting for him to start barking. Yeah, he doesn't usually, but when he does, it's, like, bone-rattling. <laughs> Jeez, it can only get worse from here. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, what up, everyone? I am Bryn. I am Ricky. We're back at it with our writing prompt. Yeah. Reading session thing. We need to come up with better names for this. So we did already record this, but something went wrong, and it's disappeared, so... Technology is great. Yeah. Alright. So we're going to try this again. There's going to be a lot less shocking revelations, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Not that there really was any, but our reactions may seem a little quieter than normal. Yes. Uh, should we flip or should we just... I would say you go ahead, because okay. you won yeah. the flip last time. Okay. Or lost the flip, however we want to view it. <laughs> Alright. So our prompt was... Uh, oh, <laughs> damn it, now you're going to make me look it up again. <laughs> Hold on, I think I might have it pulled up. Um, Searching. Running prompts, got it. Okay, so our prompt was, His hands were cold and his smile made my stomach churn. I knew he wasn't human somehow, but what was he? And, yeah, I definitely made that not first person. Yes. Yeah. Is it third person or second person? I think it's third person. Third person. That we write in. Because uh, second person is someone you walk else. through the door or something like that, right? It's basically you're yeah, telling the you're reader. telling this. Yeah, it's very strange style of writing. Yeah. I don't. I saw this post where it was like anyone who writes in second point of view is just constantly gaslighting you. <laughs> yeah, like you walk through the door. No, you I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. Thanks, but I'm different. <laughs> R.I.P. to everyone else. All right. right. Um, so I explained this beforehand for everyone listening. We just, from now on, we should just pretend this is our first yeah. time. Um, so this isn't my dragon story, which I did for the first two dialogue prompts. This is my dream nightmare story. <laughs> which I so, guessed. Yes. You guessed between the two of them. And I was very excited. Um, so because it's in a dream nightmare reality, everything kind of doesn't follow the same rules of logic and physics. So I tried to write it as clear as possible, but like the setting changes. In it's a bit like Inception. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like... Kaleidoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> so my title is He Wasn't Human. And here we go. Michelle stood centered in the crumbling room. Concrete dust danced in the light beams of the wall's openings. She remembers walking into the room through one of them, but none of them were big enough anymore. A soft crackle filled the room with a steady rhythm. She ignored the pounding in her chest and found herself picking out one of the holes in the wall. The edges disintegrated with any pressure. She tore out a chunk the size of her fist. The light beam was unchanged, still pure and blinding, but no bigger than before. This time she tore at the edges with both hands. The dust scattered at her feet. The holes stayed the same size. She spun around, examining the holes on the walls again. Each one had light pouring into them. No one side was shadowed. She couldn't ignore the pounding in her chest anymore. It had climbed up into her throat and rung in her ears. Regret filling her, she tore at the wall, desperate to make an escape. 
Can you change the song? <laughs> Michelle's startled, jumping to press her back to the wall. Or at least turn it down. Michelle hadn't noticed the crackle crackling song she first heard was now blaring. How did you get in here? She yelled over the music. The silhouetted figure cocked its head to the side. Same as you. It pointed to the wall to her right. It was wide open, leading to an overgrown forest. She turned back to the figure, no longer silhouetted by the lights. In fact, there were no lights at all. The music? His voice was brittle and rough over the crackling song. She took a breath, calming her heartbeat, and the rhythm slowed. Much better. He offered a hand out to her. Michelle couldn't quite figure out his appearance. It seemed to shift and morph the longer she looked. He was tall and slender, but with no defining features. She couldn't say the color of his eyes or his hair, if there was any. She squinted, straining to concentrate on his face. Making out a kind smile, she accepted his hand. His smile grew. Didn't your mother tell you not to dance with strangers? Strangely, his comment helped ease her panic. Is that what we're doing? It appears so. Michelle stepped in closer, aligning her feet parallel to his. She stared intently at his face, allowing him to guide her along the floor. The walls steadily began to allow the light back in, illuminating the dust billowing up with each step. It only morphed his face further. He looked down at her, grinning, a not-quite-right grin. His hands were cold, and his smile made her stomach churn. She knew he wasn't human, somehow, but what was he? He spun her out at the flourish of the song and took a deep bow. She watched as what appeared to be ink rolled from his shoulders down to splash on the ground. She slipped her hand from his, stepping away. The floor of the room was painted in an intricate pattern of black drips. Our rhythm, he mused, straightening himself out. To your song. Well, his smile grew uncomfortably large. Your current song. He held his arms up, holding an invisible partner. He continued his own dance, but no ink came off of him. Curious, scared, confused. He moved his feet carefully so as to not smear the ink on the ground. Such an interesting song to have, and yet you still stand here. I couldn't figure out how to leave here. She shrugged, feeling a bit silly now that one was plainly open. No, he glid, glid across the floor to dip his invisible partner in front of Michelle. His eyes seemed to glow, admiring her. You didn't want to leave. You just wanted to know you could leave. Or you would have already. Michelle flinched, suddenly realizing she was too focused on the dancer in front of her to notice the walls had disappeared. A breeze came through, ruffling her hair, but the dust on the ground ignored it, only moving with their feet. He dropped his hand, stepping close. So why are you here? The tempo of the music fluttered faster. You recognized me, as did everyone else. But you... She struggled to find the right words. Your recognition meant something different. To you, I'm not my mother's daughter. He went rigid, the glow of his eyes dimming. I recognize you. You were different then, but I know it was you. 
You remember? His brittle voice softened for a moment. I was little, but you were there. Michelle! She spun to see Kai running through the trees. What are you doing here? She turned back to find an empty floor, the black painting at her feet the only sign of the figure she shared a dance with. I thought I told you not to go past the forest. I was curious. It's dangerous past this point. This is the boundary into Nightmare Region. He scolded, snatching up her hand. Come on. She stepped off the cement dance floor and watched it crumble to dust with the next gust of wind. I still don't like Kai. <laughs> I don't trust him. And I don't even know if it's just like, I know enough about this story to be like, oh, I know he's not to be trusted. Or yeah. if it's just that, I told you not to go there. And he grabs her hand and pulls her away. And I'm like, I don't trust you. Yeah. And I tried to have some like comparison because the nightmare offers out his hand to mm -hmm. her and she accepts it. And they do their little thing, mm -hmm. but he just snatches her up yeah. and pulls her away and doesn't even let her process anything. Yeah. I love just picturing the dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he the nightmare I definitely get like pitch from Rise of the Guardians. And then Jest from Heartless. I'm not even gonna go into that book. Oh. <laughs> the rant I could go on. Um, and then the whole scene makes me think of the Starless Sea, which you really need to read. So what's the premise of that book? Um, I will just read it because, oh. so I don't know, there's people who like, you either love the books or you hate it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's kind of weird reading it, but like it, to me, you almost have to read The Night Circus first mm -hmm. because then you understand the way it's written. Oh, okay. There we go. Zachary Ezra Rollins is a graduate student in Vermont when he discovers a mysterious book hidden in the stacks. As he turn the turns the pages, entranced by tales of lovelorn prisoners, key collectors, and nameless acolytes, he reads something strange, a story from his own childhood. Bewildered by this inexplicable book and desperate to make sense of how his own life came to be recorded, Zachary uncovers a series of clues, a bee, a key, and a sword, that lead him to a masquerade party in New York to a secret club and through a doorway to an ancient library hidden far beneath the, below the surface of the earth. What Zachary finds in this curious place is more than just a buried home for books and their guardians. It is a place of lost cities and seas, lovers who pass notes under doors and across time, and of stories whispered by the dead. Zachary learns of those who have sacrificed much to protect this realm, relinquishing their sight and their tongues to preserve this archive, and also of those who are intent on its destruction. Together with Maribel, a fierce pink-haired protector of the place, and Dorian, a handsome barefoot man with shifting alliances, Zachary travels the twisting tunnels, darkened stairwells, crowded ballrooms, and sweetly soaked shores of this magical world, discovering his purpose in both the mysterious book and in his own life. That does sound really it's good. It's really good. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, like, just from oh, okay. Heartless. Just kind of like that. Yeah, there, it's a vibe. <laughs> it's very much pitch from Rise of the Guardians, but, like, 
not evil mm-hmm. is the vibe I get from the nightmare. Because, like, I know he's a nightmare, but he looked, he just sounded so soft when he found out she remembered him. Well, because, like, part of it is, so, in my story, the, the main girl is a nightmare. She doesn't know it, but she is. Um, so when she was little, all of the dream people in the nightmares are her mom's. Mm-hmm. And then when she's little, she's able to see the nightmares because she's right. one of them. Um, so that's how she recognizes him. So that explains that. He's so, like the monster under her bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is like, dreams are just kind of like whatever. Mm-hmm. But nightmares are always grounded in reality. It's something you're actually afraid of. It mm-hmm. always makes you, your heart pound even yeah. while you're sleeping or whatever. Um and he's just, he is a nightmare, but he just wants to be, he just wants to live his life without people being afraid of him. And without causing pain. Yeah. So that's his goal. And that, and that's why he's so nice to her. And he's trying his yeah. best. <laughs> oh. And I kind of based his appearance off of, there's this artist that I follow called Starbite on Instagram, star underscore bite. And she's got this character who's like all black, and then he's Ooh. got white glowing eyes. Ooh. And he, he wears this like biker jacket. Nice. Yeah. He's good. So, do all the nightmares kind of look like that? No. That's right. just him. Right. Because he's different. He's not <laughs> like everyone else. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then. So her name, Michelle, because I, I, at first I wasn't actually going to name her. Mm-hmm. She was just going to be her and him. like. But. Yeah, because you can write an entire book like that. Eh. <laughs> I would like to see you try. I should actually. <laughs> just one day. See if That's just full on at the point. Why don't you just go to second person point of view? That's true. Anyways, uh, her name. Sorry, Michelle. I'm just trying to figure out the logistics of like people yelling to her. You there, the girl. girl. No, 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 not the creepy, tall, gangly thing. The girl. That's what I'm talking to. That would be really fun. Though. <laughs> My God. So her name is based off of well. Before that, we were talking about how um, slow songs always have right you were texting me i was at work and i just get this text why do all slow (laughs) songs from like the 1950s feel post-apocalyptic and i'm like it's because of the irony of the fact that they were written at a time when people were more hopeful for the future Mm -hmm. so to play them at the end of the world is like the greatest irony of all yeah so that's like what that crackling music is is like it's a record playing and so I was listening to a bunch of dystopian playlists with that kind of, like, 50s slow romantic music on it. And then on one of the playlists, there's a song called Michelle by Sir Chloe. And one of the lines is, Michelle, Michelle, you are a monster from hell. And it, it just, it was so fitting, and it was such a good song. So that's how her name came It about. is the end credit song. Yes. <laughs> I like it. I do like it. I would love to hear more from that story though yeah it's tricky i find with that one it was like you have to make everything a little off off without it being it's like wonderland yeah yeah without it being too confusing and it's yeah 
it's but straining. Then, but I mean, that's one of those things where it's like you have to trust your readers enough that if you give them like the outline, they will fill it in. Yeah. Which then almost opens it up to like, what is your readers' dreams like that are weird? Yeah. And their nightmares that are weird. Mm-hmm. That's it. I think you can do it. All right. Off to you. Oh, my turn. So, um, the one I read last week was from my book called Death by Any Other Name, which obviously focuses on death as the main character. This week, I decided to write a scene from a book I have called Life by Any Creed, which is kind of a sequel to Death by Any Other Name, but like also kind of works as a standalone because there's really no crossover or like any references to characters from Death by Any Other Name. There's like enough background given that it could kind of work as its own book, which is biting me in the butt because I'm like, I could write both of these at the same time. I can totally justify doing that because I'm dumb. Um, so Life by other, Any Other Creed, or by Any Creed, um, follows basically war as opposed to following death. Um, but this scene happens before the character in the story that's going to become war becomes war, so they're just human. Uh, but yeah, they, they have an encounter. <laughs> Dramatic <laughs> encounter. So this is Life by Any Creed, uh, Leo and Alira meet. Coben opened the door, his scowl relaxing when he recognized Alira. You got here faster than last time. He glanced at his watch as she slipped inside, stepping over the discarded coats and avoiding the towels hanging from the ceiling. I found a shortcut, she replied, craning to see down the end of the hall. You should know better than to find shortcuts around here. Coben motioned towards the last room. She stood in the doorway, letting her eyes adjust until she could make out the shape of Siler curled up on the mattress in the corner. He shifted when she touched his arm, stirring and shifting the cloud of smoke surrounding him. There's my favorite sister, he slurred, a lazy smile turning up the corners of his mouth. I'm your only sister. She pulled him into a sitting position. Exactly. That makes you my favorite. He allowed her to pull him to his feet, immediately leaning his weight on her and wrapping his long arms around her like an obnoxious scarf. Why are you so short? He lamented as he bent his knees to rest his head on top of hers. Because you're a selfish asshole who hogged all the tall jeans. She guided him back down the hallway, tossing a nod to Coben as he opened the door for her. That seems rude of me, Siler mumbled, standing up straighter and trying to walk without her help. She immediately grabbed hold of him as he began to lean forward, tripping over his own shoes. Leave me alone. I'm a big fat thief who made you small. He tried to throw off her arm again. She swore under her breath as he slumped against a wall. Seems to me you've got your hands full, don't you? Alira turned around to see the four corner boys walking towards her. Move along. She forced her tongue to move, peeling it off the roof of her mouth as she stepped in front of Siler. Now why would we do that? It seems like you'd be needing our assistance. They were close enough now for her to smell the cheap cologne they used to mask the smoke that reeked from their pores. We don't need anything from you. She matched the one boy's stare, 
shifting her feet as she braced for wherever the first hit might come. I think your business might do better elsewhere tonight. A deep voice echoed down the street. Everyone turned to the shadow calmly walking towards them. Badge! One of the boys yelled and they scattered, leaving Alira to watch as the stranger stepped under a light and it became clear he wasn't police. Are you alright? He stopped under the light, holding out a hand in a gesture of peace. Forgive me, I saw you come down the alley. I've heard these streets aren't safe to walk alone. Well, I'm not alone. She motioned behind her, where Siler was slowly attempting to stand up. No, I can see that now. The stranger shifted his attention to her brother with a bemused smile, giving her a moment to study him. His face was all sharp edges, with the faintest touch of a beard and dark hair tied back in a smooth bun. His eyes seemed expanded to take in all the light possible, nearly pure black they looked from the distance. Slyler threw his arm around Alira again, making her lose her footing as she stumbled forward. Instantly, the stranger reached out, grabbing her arm firmly to steady her. Are you all right? He asked again when she pulled away and shifted Siler's weight. She stared at him. His hands were cold, and his smile made her stomach churn. She knew he wasn't human somehow, but what was he? Have we met before? She found herself asking, ignoring the instinct screaming at her to run. I cannot be certain, he mused tucking his hands in his coat pockets as he leaned forward. But I'd hope I would have remembered. Siler mumbled under his breath, sighing heavily as he leaned into Alira. Will he make it? The stranger asked. Of course he will, she snapped, forcing the next words to be calmer when she saw him raise an eyebrow. Of course he will. He has me. Yes, the stranger looked between the two of them. I believe that. Time seemed to stop for a moment as he looked at them. It felt to Alira as if he was doing calculations in his head, his strange dark eyes looking them up and down. Finally, he bowed his head and took a step backwards. Safe journey, miss. Perhaps we will meet again. He turned to walk away, then paused and looked back at her with a quick smile. I promise next time I'll remember. Alira tried to brush off the encounter, focusing once again on Siler and getting him home. But in later days, when the moments crept back into her thoughts, she would swear the shadows had followed him as he left. I love that last little detail. The shadows follow. The shadows him. follow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just—he's such a gentleman. It's so good. Yeah. Well, that's. Because it's one of those weird things where it's like, it takes place in our world, but it's like an alternate version of our world, Mm -hmm. which is how I justify everything. (laughs) But if it was in our world as it is now, he would have essentially have become death during the Crusades. And it's now like 2043. So he's been death for a very long time. Yeah. But I just kind of, I don't know, I always kind of like those characters where it's like, they're immortal, but they still kind of have like that energy and that manner to them that they would have had back in like mm-hmm. the time when it was expected of them to have that yeah and then I figure like he's wearing like kind of this great coat it's like really dark and he's kind of like the collar comes up high and it's just everything about him seems very doesn't quite fit yeah. where he is yeah 
And then, yeah, he's based off of an actor who's in uh, The Last Kingdom. The I can never remember his actual name. Because I was surprised about the man bun. Yeah. Alexander Draymond in The Last Kingdom. Because he's he can actually pull... Like, it works. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't always have the shaved sides. Like, it gets longer later. I like and, that. Yeah, and he keeps it, like, pulled back and everything. But when she first meets him, because he's very, like, put together and he's out, he has everything pulled back. Mm-hmm. But then when he's quote-unquote, at home relaxing. <laughs> it'll be, like, down and it'll be a little more loose. Yeah. So she's like, who are you? This is really weird. This is, like, too many things don't match here. So, yeah. And then... Her brother... It, it sounds weird to say. Her brother is, like, a mix of Machine Gun Kelly and Phineas. Gangly and <laughs> find the middle ground between those two, and you've got Siler. I feel like looks wise a little closer to Machine Gun Kelly, but personality wise a little closer to Phineas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, does he die at the very end? Okay, but because because I I can't remember if I've actually ever explained this to you. So he was in their war kind of thing mm-hmm. um and as a soldier they were just like pumping them full of drugs like they were giving them uppers to keep them awake they were giving them downers to keep them calm they were like yeah they were on everything um and so now he's a civilian well a he's dealing with ptsd and b <laughs> he's already a drug addict because they literally made him one yeah Um, So a lot of the drugs that he goes to get from Coben, because Coben is his main supplier, a lot of the drugs he goes to get are things that he got in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, And he goes to Coben because I kind of want to have it where it's like they used to kind of be friends, like they knew each other before he went to war, which is why he trusts that if it gets too far, Coben is going to call Alira. Coben will stop giving him stuff and will like, Mm -hmm. has a code word with Alira and Alira will come and take him home and get him out of that. And then the catch, of course, being that Leo, who's death, he was there for Siler. So Siler was supposed to die that night. But because Alira took a shortcut and she got there early, she was able to step in and save his life. So that's why death's just kind of like, he looks at them and he's looking at both of them and he's like, you know what? I think you're right. I think he will survive. And he just kind of backs away from it. So Fade to black. Yeah, essentially. So, like, before you even have that moment of she becomes war and has to meet him, he already kind of respects her Mm -hmm. and, like, what she's doing. And this is even before he fully understands that his brother is kind of eyeing her to be his replacement. Okay. Because his brother's met her and his brother's like, she seems cool. Is that why he kind of recognizes... Or she kind of recognizes him? No, no, no. She recognizes him because she met him in the hospital when her brother was first brought home. Right! I remember you did tell me that part. So her brother was in the hospital, and she was waiting outside the door, and death came to visit him. Right. But her brother pulled through. 
but she does remember that someone was there and something was off. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, it's like one of those memories where you're like, I don't really want to remember that. So I'm going to walk away from it and kind of like step back from it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when she sees him again, it's kind of that, no, wait a minute. I do know you. Mm-hmm. How do I know you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was good. Thank <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's not that I, I really want to write Death by Any Other Name, but I also really want to write Life by Any Creed. Yeah. Well, like, they're not... They're connected, but they're not, right? Exactly. Like, not that that really helps me. <laughs> I mean, but it means that sense, you don't I, have yeah, to write... Yeah, don't have to write it as a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just... It's hard because... I'm like, oh, I should write this. Oh, but that one. But this one has that. Yeah, but that one has that. <laughs> and, Yeah. Which one has your more favorite trope? Um, I don't know how tropey these ones are, actually. Well, you've got, like, the... Even with the whole, you were my wife, or I've been your wife, and... Yeah. So that's kind of its own trope, was we've always been together. Which, I mean, also kind of happens that's in, true. like, Fanny Creed. <laughs> Which is no help. But there's just, like, that awkward level of the heart belonged to your brother before it belonged to me (laughs) so are you feeling protective and staying close to me because it's you know you have this bond that you had with your brother and now you're trying to protect that heart and it really has nothing to do with me it has to do with protecting the memory of your brother or is it actually me yeah yeah I i want you to write a scene with pest I really yeah. like Pesty. So in Death by Any Other Name, it's not, they're not really brought up, but Ricky kind of said last time, um, the characters are based on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. So in Life by Any Creed, I do actually have um, Pestilence and Famine. Famine plays a little different in the sense of like the heart leaves and goes where it's needed and then will return. So kind of they're like the host body. Um... But pestilence is a cat. <laughs> and it brings me so much joy. <laughs> yeah, pestilence is a cat that just will never die. And it really doesn't care. And it just follows death around. And death is just stuck with this damn cat. Mm-hmm. Except by... In... I feel like I have to vaguely reference the cat in Death by Any Other Name then. Because... Like, as a cameo, almost? Yeah. Just, like, the cat is chilling with war. A cameo. Sorry. Yeah, oh, my God. No. <laughs> a cat meo. <laughs> oh, God, that's just as bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I need to just reference it vaguely. Yeah. Just, like, kind of a quick cut scene of, like, when she goes to visit her father before she fully takes on the heart. And, you know, the, like, the cat's there, and then he goes off, and mm-hmm. her dad just, like, mutters under his breath about how much of a pest he is or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, just some, like, vague jokes so that if you read both books, you're like, hey, hey. hey, I see it there. There it is. Yeah. Also, Pestilence really likes Siler. Just like, this is my human now. I'm, I'm gonna sit here. I'm yeah. comfortable. And at first, Siler's very disturbed by the fact that it's Pestilence. But it's also just like a really nice cat. <laughs> and he's like, eh, lesser of two evils. 
I have a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Pestilence is very sad when he dies. Aw. Yeah. Does he just, like, curl up in his spot? Like, in Skylar's spot? No, because that, her... Skylar or Siler? Siler. It was going to be Skylar, and then I just kind of changed it, because I'm like, eh, Skylar's too modern, normal a name. Mm-hmm. I need something slightly off. Um, but no. <laughs> After they bring down the corporation corporation that's trying to kill them, um, her and Leo leave the city, because it's like... She kind of needs a fresh start. Like she's there's too many memories, too much going on there. She's like, no, I need I need somewhere new. Mm-hmm. And even for him, because he was there for a while as well. So they finish what they're doing at the large corporation headquarters, and then they get back in the car, and Pest is in the back, curled up in Siler's hoodie. <laughs> yeah. Because it smells like him. Yeah. I'm that person. It's, okay, it's such a good trope, though. It's a weird trope, the, like, animals yeah. sleeping on clothing. And mourning. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so good. It's so good. Sometimes it hits me more than the humans do. Right? Because it's, like, it doesn't matter how much a person can cry or whatever, like, you'll never fully be able to express it, but if you just show an animal... Just sleeping with someone's clothing or something. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I know what you feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to have that scene. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of like drive out of the city. Oh, Yeah. Another kind of like vague ending. Yeah. But yeah, so, so that's it. Somehow we've made it longer than the first time we recorded. There, see, we go. Progress. <laughs> Well, on that note, I am Bryn. I am Ricky. And I really hope this episode actually <laughs> saves. <laughs> <laughs>